Hi everyone, this is Christian Weatherford. And this is Ellen Weatherford. And this is Just the Zoo of Us, a podcast where we review your favorite animals by giving them a rating out of 10 in three categories, effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. I like to think we do a good job of it. We are not zoological experts. We do a lot of research and we try our best to make sure we're presenting information from trustworthy sources. We're doing our best out here. All right, honey, who's going first this week? Well, baby, last week I went first, and so this week it's your turn. Excellent. What you got? My animal for this week is the golden poison frog. Okay. (laughs) Interesting. A lot of people are aware of the poison dart frogs. Yep. Which is really just kind of a term for a whole family of frogs. It encompasses a bunch of different species, but I'm specifically talking about the golden poison frog whose scientific name is Phyllobits terribilis. Aw. Is it just me, or is that name similar to terrible? How do you spell it? Uh, T-E-R-R-I-B-I-L-I-S. That pretty much just is terrible. (laughs) Uh, There might be a reason for this, but Uh more to come. (laughs) I hope that doesn't forebode... Poorly, like I, I hope that's not ominous about what its rating is going to be. Oh no, it is. <laughs> it is amazing. Um, it's for a different actor for which it is terrible. But anyway, <laughs> my information for this one is coming from nationalgeographic.com, wou.edu, which is the Western Oregon University website, bbc.com, and the Crash Course YouTube channel. Um, I'll go more in specifics about that when I get to that subject. Okay, we're going to learn today. (laughs) So, basic info for our little froggy friend. Their average size is one inch long, Mm. or two and a half centimeters about. That's That's no chickens. (laughs) Like the toenail of a chicken. (laughs) That is the length of a paperclip, about... Like a jumbo paperclip, or like a normal paperclip? I don't know what the standardized paperclips are. There might be a difference in metric paper clips and <laughs> imperial paper clips. Oh my god. Yeah, these are in US paper clips. Sorry. <laughs> Their location, they are found in a small section of rainforest on the Pacific coast of Colombia. A uh, little fun fact, they have a name for a group of these little critters. <gasps> they are called an army. No. Yep. Oh my god. <laughs> an army of golden Poison frogs. Oh my gosh, that's so good. I don't know if that name is specific to this species or if that's more generally used for frogs, but I like it. You know I'm a real sucker for collective names for groups of animals. <laughs> right. I'm so into those. This is great. An army of frogs. Maybe a good art? Uh, this a is, good art. Uh, this is a great art. <laughs> this is a prompt for our fan artists out there. Please. An army of poison frogs. Please give me the art. One art, please. I'll take one. Uh, The taxonomic family is the Dendrobatidae. Its notable evolutionary relatives are the other poison dart frogs, so they all belong to the same family. Now, let's get into the rating. First up, effectiveness. What does effectiveness mean, babe? So, I like to describe it as in, how good are they at the things they're meant to do? Sure. <laughs> they got a thing they're trying to do. Yeah. So how good are, are they at it? These are physical attributes, that sort. I'm giving the golden poison frog a full 10 out of 10 on effectiveness. Perfect score. So, let's talk about it. <laughs> let's hash this out. <laughs> it 
is considered to be one of the most toxic animals on the planet. Oh my. This is why I specifically chose this species over the others among the poison dart frogs. A real standout frog. Yes. So a two-inch frog, or five centimeters, has enough poison to kill ten grown men. Oh my. Yes. <laughs> uh, these little guys are thought to get their poison from the insects that they eat. Although no one's entirely sure which insects specifically. Right, because I feel like there's not an insect around there that has that potent of a poison, right? I think the thought process is there are, but it's built up over time. So oh, like, it's like concentrated. So like they, the insects themselves might not have it, but over time they do get it. Okay, so this is concentrated like the sea slug that we talked about in an earlier episode. How yeah, it like stores it in its body and makes it more potent. Similar, similar. So these guys store this poison in glands just beneath the skin. Oh. Yeah. Now, here's where it gets interesting, is how the poison works. It was already interesting, but I can't wait to hear about it. <laughs> so the poison is called a batrachotoxin. I'm going to shorten that to BTX, so I don't <laughs> have to try to pronounce that every time. <laughs> Um, and this is where I'm getting into that YouTube video I mentioned earlier. Uh, again, it was the Crash Course YouTube channel. And this one is basically about the nervous system action potential. So to describe how the poison works, let's first talk about how the nervous system works in general on a happy path. All right, everybody, <laughs> get out your bio textbooks. <laughs> it's time we're going to class. So action potential is basically the difference in charge or the movement of electricity over your nervous system cells. So that's how our whole nervous system works is the transmission of little tiny electrical signals. You know, when you want to move your hand, your brain is sending an electrical signal to your hand uh, to contract those muscles and what have you. So the way cells do that inside of a nerve cell they are negatively charged relative to the outside of them or outside their membranes. This is called the resting state. So when some stimulus happens, let's say we have a nerve cell in my leg and I touch my leg. So that stimulus causes mechanical sodium gates to start allowing sodium ions into the membrane. So now I should mention sodium ions are positively charged. Okay. So this starts to increase the charge within this within the cell. Making it less negatively charged. Correct. So I believe the value is at a resting state, it's at a negative 70 millivolts. So typically you'll hear volts described in just regular volts, but since this is a small, small magnitude, we're talking millivolts. Itty bitty. Yeah. So it starts to let in those those sodium ions, and eventually it reaches a threshold where it starts to trigger the action potential. So when it reaches a particular charge, I believe the video said it was negative 55 millivolts. So this causes voltage-gated sodium gates to, to open. So uh, voltage-gated means you know they, these are responding to the relative voltage rather than a mechanical stimulus. So when that voltage reaches that threshold, the sodium gates open, allowing even more sodium ions in. Oh, okay. Yeah. So then eventually your charge becomes positive. Right. It spikes. So that's the action potential. So now we went from a polarized state to a depolarized state where we have a positive charge. Now, to go back or to repolarize, the sodium gates close and potassium gates open. Potassium is another positively charged ion. 
So the potassium starts to flow out of the membrane, reducing the charge again. Oh, okay. So the positively charged potassium leaving is extracting positive charge from right. the cell so, and making it less positively charged right. and bringing the charge back down into the negative that it needs to be at. Right. So just keep in mind, sodium and potassium are both positively charged ions. Mm-hmm. When this happens, the potassium gates open, letting out potassium. The sodium gates close, no longer allowing sodium in. Eventually, this goes a little bit too negative. So this is called hyperpolarization. So to correct this hyperpolarization, the membrane has these things called sodium-potassium pumps. And what these are doing is they're releasing sodium ions and pulling back in potassium ions to balance us back out to the original resting charge. Back to normal. Yeah. So that whole cycle takes less than a millisecond. That's very fast. Yes. And then so what's happening here with your nervous system is, you know, these are happening in rapid succession and one part is kicking off the next until it travels all the way up to where it's going, your brain. Or from your brain to the, I guess, muscle or limb or what have you. This is like causing a chain reaction all the way up to your brain and back. Right. So... Here's where the poison comes in. (laughs) What BTX does, it interferes with your body's ability to transmit electrical signals by binding to voltage-gated sodium channels, the gates that are letting in sodium. So it's binding to those voltage-gated sodium channels in your muscles and nerve cells. It makes it so the sodium channels stay open. So they're bringing in a lot more sodium than they need to. Right. So so the channel is just letting in sodium and never closing. So what that does is it throws off that cycle of going from polarization to depolarization and back and forth. So that's either stopping the cycle or slowing it down tremendously. And that effect is irreversible. Oh, there's no cure? (laughs) (laughs) There's just no way to, once it's open, there's there's no way to close it. Oh, geez. That's very permanent. Yes. So what this causes is numbness, paralysis, fibrillation, arrhythmias, and heart failure. None of those are good. No. (laughs) None of those are what you want. So death, basically. You die immediately. (laughs) I don't know about immediately, but... Every second that you're not yet dead, you wish you were. (laughs) Well, you won't be able to feel anything is the thing. (laughs) Oh, I guess, yeah, if you're numb, I guess. Uh, It's probably... I mean, you're still emotionally... Dead. I don't know. (laughs) You're dead inside. (laughs) Yeah, that's the batrachotoxin. Nice. <laughs> Scary stuff, yeah. If you're going to have a defense mechanism, you want that one to be it, huh? Yeah. That's so, some intense biochemical warfare. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm sorry if that was a very wordy description of what was going on, but I thought it was a little interesting. Hey, yeah. Once you get into the inner workings of the body and mm. the really complicated mechanisms that are at work in your cells, it gets just mind-blowingly fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So the frogs themselves are immune to this, to their own poison. I would hope so. (laughs) And the way they do this is because they've evolved voltage-gated sodium channels that are unaffected by the toxin. Good idea. And then my next point for effectiveness is their coloration itself warns predators of the toxicity. And this is pretty common in the animal kingdom. And the phrase that describes this is actually called aposomatic coloration. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, because at that point, if you do eat them and get poisoned and die, it's kind of your fault. (laughs) Although there are animals that 
will show these kind of colorations, but not actually have poison or venom to back it up. Bluff. <laughs> Bluff move. Yeah. So a good example of that in Florida is the difference between the coral snake and the milk snake, right? That's so shady and sly that they would do that. <laughs> That's so rude, honestly. They couldn't be bothered to make their own venom, so they just copied another one. Yeah. Hey, hey uh, can I copy your homework? <laughs> oh, you know what, though? Um, this is a good segue to talk about the difference between something that is venomous versus something that is poisonous. Yes. So you would describe something as venomous when they have a toxin that comes along with a delivery system. <laughs> it's put in you. Yeah. So so this is something that has fangs that will bite you and deliver that toxin. Whereas something that is poisonous, you would have to usually ingest or come into contact with it, like in skin contact. So that's the difference between something that is venomous versus something that is poisonous. So that is the that is the effectiveness again, ten out of ten. And if you are interested in learning more about how that works at the biological level and you want to hear it described much better than I did, <laughs> again, that is the Crash Course YouTube channel. Check them out. Next category, ingenuity. Um, I'm giving them a standard six out of ten. It's just a frog. This is a predator. It's just a little di- are they a predator? I mean they go after insects and stuff. But... Oh yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> I guess they're an apex predator, right? Uh, well, <laughs> What's I mean, coming for them? <laughs> they are in rainforests. So so one little point I put here is their toxicity is not exactly on purpose, right? <laughs> I think it just happened. Like they, they like to eat these things and they're like, oh, hey, now I'm dangerous as all get out. <laughs> <laughs> Luck of the draw. Yeah. They got dealt a great hand. And they were also immune to the effects. Cause oh, yeah. any other animal like, yeah, I love these crickets. Ugh. <laughs> another point i gave them for ingenuity they lay their they lay their eggs in moist areas and then as they develop into tadpoles the parents move them into bodies of water oh yeah that's all i really had for ingenuity six that, out of ten that's like a little bit more like maternal instinct than you might expect from yeah an amphibian right although i have seen some really cool documentaries on like i don't know if it was on planet earth i think it was on the bbc series life following the journey of this little rainforest frog how she's laid her tadpoles up in this tree this really really tall tree but she has to come back to feed them like every single day so she but she laid them in all these different trees so she has to spend her whole day like climbing up a tree feeding her baby climbing back down the tree going to a different tree climbing up feeding her baby climbing back down and (laughs) and the frog is like the size of like a penny so she's like it takes her all day long to feed all of her babies. There are some surprisingly good frog moms out there. (laughs) How cute. Aesthetics-wise, I'm giving it an 8 out of 10. They're pretty. Yeah. They're cute. Very cute. Although, with what I know about them, I I have to describe them as cute but scary. Yeah, they're cute and endearing in a way that is deceptive. It makes you think, oh, I really want to handle that. (laughs) Don't do it. Don't. You'll die. Um, So, oh, we mentioned the color earlier. So, of course, they can be yellow, but also they can also be orange or pale green. What? Yeah, kind of depending on where specifically they're found. Oh, cool. Uh, They also have these little black accents throughout their body. I've seen pictures of one where it has black accents on its lips, where it kind of looks like it's making a kissy face. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Too cute. Yeah. I really like the color combo of yellow and black. It's that's always a good. that's always a powerful color combo for sure. 
So that is a 10 out of 10 in effectiveness, a 6 out of 10 in ingenuity, and an 8 out of 10 in aesthetics, which comes up to an overall 8 out of 10. This is a good frog. Good frog. This is better than our frogs Not that we eating, have here. Not for eating, No. <laughs> don't do it. Specifically, don't do that. <laughs> Although, you know what? As a self-defense mechanism, poisoning its predator if it is eaten doesn't really save the frog from being eaten, does it? Not really, yeah. Like, that's really just out of spite. (laughs) (laughs) You've already been killed and eaten. (laughs) Yeah, something about evolution in there somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) You are already dead. (laughs) Conservation status. These little guys are are endangered. Oh, no. Yeah. So because they're found in a very specific rainforest, and of course, you know, rainforests in general are having a very hard time with loss of habitat. Yeah, things aren't going great. Yeah. A little interesting fact, since their toxicity is derived from their diet in the wild, specimens taken from the wild and just kind of fed pet store food or what have you will eventually lose their toxicity. Hey, how do you test that? Mm, Not confidently. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, yeah, um, here's this uh, golden poison frog. It's like the most toxic thing in the world, and if you touch it, you could die. But we're pretty sure (laughs) we've had it in the shop for like a couple months now. I don't know. It's probably fine. (laughs) But what this also means is those born in captivity don't have it to start with. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. That's how you do it. Yep. A synthetic version of one of the poison's compounds has been developed that has a promise as being a powerful painkiller. Well, now, that's not what you would have thought. Yeah. I mean, I guess just they wanted just the numbness part, but none of the death part. <laughs> um. <laughs> Listen, you can't have your cake and eat it, too, guys. <laughs> and then lastly, of course, the namesake of a poison dart frogs in general. So for this particular one, they were used by Colombia's Embera tribe. Uh, they regularly used poison to coat their blow darts to hunt with. Oh, so this is a real thing. Yeah, this is a real thing. Not all frogs that are referred to as poison dart frogs ha- have been used this way, but this is one species that has definitely been used that way. Wow. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, To get the poison from the frog, they have to, I'm just going to say, induce pain to the frog. Oh. I'm not going to go into very much details there. It's kind of a bummer. Yeah. But we'll just keep it at that. No bad vibes. Yeah. (laughs) So they have to stress out the frog so that it secretes the poison, and then they'll coat the the dart with it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, So that is the golden poison frog. I feel like this frog is way, way, way cuter than the 40,000 frogs we have in our backyard. That's true. Were you inspired to do this animal by the 40,000 frogs we have in our backyard? No. (laughs) I was just kind of perusing our list and kind of caught my eye. But also, the Jacksonville Zoo has a couple of, I guess, poison dart frogs. I don't think they're the golden ones, no. though. They're little, like, green and blue and stuff. Yeah, yeah. They're really cute, though. Oh, I like they them. are cute. It's funny. They're in this really big enclosure. <laughs> so you, you really have to try to find them, like, looking. Yeah, because they're in there with the... Some type of boa, right? Yeah. It's like a rainbow. It's a big snake that's in there, but it is kind of hard trying to find these teeny little frogs in a big old cage. Yeah, but when you do, it's a good experience. It's a nice little treat. Yeah. All right, so what do you have for us this week? This week, 
I have an animal that actually I had never heard the name of until it was brought to my attention. This animal is called the Tamandua. The scientific name of this species is Tamandua tetradactyla. Oh. This animal was submitted to us by Miranda Lowry. Miranda has experience working with this animal. Oh. So lots of firsthand experience. We had some some really interesting input from Miranda. Oh, exciting. Yes. So thank you very much, Miranda, for your contribution to this episode. Now, the rest of the information that I'm getting is from the San Diego Zoo and the Smithsonian National Zoo. Very good. Yes. So the Tamandua is a small anteater. Ooh. Yeah, this is actually a type of anteater. It's it's related to the giant anteater. So the Tamandua is a small anteater with a long, skinny snout, a chunky body, and a long, muscular tail. Oh. Yep, the digits on their feet are these long, sharp claws, and they have very dense fur. The fur is a blonde or a light brown color with black markings in the shape of a vest. So black markings that go like around the arms and onto the back. It looks like a vest. I'm imagining an animal that likes to hug for some reason. So (laughs) it would look that way. It it does a thing that makes it look like that, but don't. (laughs) Oh, is it (laughs) T-posing? Kind of is the thing. (laughs) <laughs> I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. Okay, okay, okay. Um, the, the adult size of the Tamandua is 2 to 3 feet. That's 53 to 88 centimeters for our metric listeners, with an additional 1 to 2 feet in the length of the tail. So, oh. yeah, a good a good length tail. You're going to find these in forests and jungles in South America. There's actually two species of Tamanduas. There's okay. the northern and the southern. This is the southern one. The taxonomic order of these dudes is Pilosa. This order includes anteaters as well as sloths. Okay. So they're all kind of related. Obviously, What's they're the, more... The toe thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, the claw toes. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, they're more closely related to the anteaters than the sloths, but they're all part of the same order. Huh. Yep. So this is, uh, they're a cousin to the giant anteater, which is the one that you're probably more familiar with. It's gray and has the long fluffy tail and it's huge. It's big. Yeah, it's a big animal, much bigger than I always thought they were. Mm. But the Tamandua is like a more, a a, a little one. It's compact. (laughs) So I'm using the same rating system. I'm going to get started with effectiveness. I gave it a seven out of 10. Okay. So the Tamandua spends most of their time in trees, which is why they have those big, powerful claws. Those long claws help them climb and grip branches. So the these big, strong claws are really great for climbing trees, mm-hmm. busting open termite mounds. They can just kind of like dig right into it and, and bust up the termite mounds to get the termites inside. And they're also good for defending themselves. Oh. But unfortunately, those big giant claws make walking on the ground really difficult. <laughs> and it does have to walk on the ground sometimes. Not all the time, I mean, that's, but that's, sometimes. That's where the termites are, right? Right. <laughs> so they're like mostly arboreal. I saw a figure that said they spend about 60% of their time in the trees. But 
they do have to spend a lot of time on the ground. Like, so they don't walk so good on the ground. It's like I, I eat. Now, now I tree. Yeah, now tree. Goodbye. <laughs> so <laughs> when they do walk on the ground, since they have those long claws, they have to curl their claws inward, which means they have to walk on the outside edges of their feet oh. so that their claws don't like mess their paws up. Oh. I don't know if you would call those paws. Hands? That sounds weird. Uh, arm pads. They're um, <laughs> appendages. Okay. <laughs> This having to walk on the outside edges of their feet makes them really slow and clumsy when they're not in a tree. Poor babies. Yeah. They're they're slow in general. Like, even when they are in the trees, they are in no hurry. You can really kind of see the resemblance to their sloth cousins. <laughs> what a weird motif. They're just chill. They're very chill. They're on their own time, man. I guess. They got no <laughs> schedule. So, when they are in the trees, they do have the advantage of having a long muscular prehensile tail okay so the tail is hairless along the bottom and at the end of it it looks like a rat's tail you know how a rat's tail is bald sure. and it has that skin that's like very rough and it looks scaly mm -hmm. that's how the end of a tamandua's tail looks and all along the bottom of it it has no hair on it Puppy. this helps them grip better Puppy kind of looks like that sometimes. Sometimes when she has allergies, don't make fun of puppy. <laughs> you be nice to my dog. Love you, puppy, wherever you are. <laughs> so the bald part of their tail looks a lot like a rat's tail, which some people find really gross and unsettling to look at, but I, I've never had any problem with it. When I used to have pet rats, I, I didn't mind their tails. For me, it's, it's that same thing as uh, naked cats. I don't know. Now, I do think those are very cute. See, it must be a, a common thing. Then. Maybe it's just a weird thing where you don't like to see, like, bald animals or something. Like, ah, that's normally covered in hair. <laughs> Go away. Anyway, <laughs> so they use their tail for holding onto tree trunks or branches, but they also use it to brace themselves when they stand up on their hind legs. So they use it as kind of a balance. So when they do stand up on their hind legs, they can lean back on their tail and oh. it turns them into kind of like a tripod <laughs> so they can balance better. Is, so is, is standing up on their hind legs something they do often or? Sometimes, yeah. Huh. Yeah. So I'll, I'll get into that in just a second. Okay. They're, they've got that long, long, long snout. Inside of that long, long, long snout is a sticky barbed tongue that is around 16 inches or 40 centimeters long. This is, huh. yeah, that's a lot of <laughs> tongue. <laughs> that's like half its body. Yeah. Yeah. It's way up in there. <laughs> this is perfect for snagging insects because it's long, it's skinny, it can get into like ant burrow, it can get into like ant hills and termite mounds and stuff. It can get into logs and get way up in there and snag bugs. Perfect for what they need it for, right? Yeah. So in the Ardwolf episode, I feel kind of bad because I've talked about like three insectivores in a row. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and even you just talked about a frog. So like that's another one. Like we were really just trashing on bugs. <laughs> <laughs> it's the world's food thing. Yeah. Sorry, guys. If only there weren't so many of them. Um, <laughs> so in the Ardwolf episode, I talked about how the Ardwolf has really, really small teeth and it mostly chews anything that it needs to chew using its stomach. So the Tamandua takes that idea and leans into the concept and really kind of takes it to its logical conclusion by having no teeth at all Aww. none not a tooth in their skull uh, miranda says 
we always tell guests anything with a mouth can bite, but these guys are an exception. (laughs) (laughs) Miranda says their mouths are only big enough for their tongue, so about the size of a pencil, and they don't have any teeth. So they can't bite. They can't chew. It's just tongue in there, and that's all. probably gross you out pretty quick. (laughs) Oh, here's this big tongue. Oh, no. Yeah. It makes me think of Lick-A-Tongue, the Pokemon. (laughs) So, yeah, no teeth. None. But they do have that, like, muscular stomach that grinds up their food for them. Hmm. Yeah. So, like, why do you need... Well, you, won't, you don't need teeth at that point. Do they do they do that thing where they eat rocks, where the rocks help them digest? Or I guess they can't, because... There's no room. How are you going to get a rock in there? Huh. <laughs> so, yeah, while they're eating all of these ants and termites and stuff like that, they have coarse, dense fur that protects their skin from being bitten. They have a little bit of defense there. It it looks soft. Whenever I look at pictures of them, they have that very lightly colored fur, and it looks like it would be soft and pleasant to touch, but it is not. Makes sense. It's because it's very coarse and wiry. Yeah. It doesn't look that way, but oh well. It looks inviting to touch, but <laughs> there's part of my brain that thinks, oh my gosh, it looks so soft, I want to pet it. And there's another part of my brain that has touched actual animals before <laughs> and is telling me, like, it's definitely not soft. Do not touch it. <laughs> Disappointment ahead. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So I want to talk about their perceptive abilities a little bit. I took some points off their effectiveness for their very, very poor vision. Oh, no. They have very small eyes. Their eyes are teeny tiny. (laughs) What are these? Eyes for ants? (laughs) (laughs) They are! They have teeny tiny eyes and they don't see very well at all. In their defense, they are mostly nocturnal and they navigate mostly with their hearing and their sense of smell. So sight isn't really very important to them anyway. Okay. But still, why limit yourself? You know, Mm. like, why do that to yourself? But so, yeah, they've kind of neglected their eyesight. However, they do have a really strong sense of smell. Hmm. So Miranda says... One time we gave them a log for enrichment just to play with and they attacked it. There were apparently termites inside of it that we had no clue were there, but the Tamanduas (laughs) were able to smell them. Oh, so they thought, oh, here's some decoration, but he was like, oh, yeah, snack. Yeah. So it was supposed to be just like a toy, like a a fun like thing for them to maybe like roll around and play with a little bit, but surprise, treats. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I thought that was pretty neat. They were able to smell the termites inside of the log. So yeah, they they clearly have very good sense of smell. Awesome. Now I want to wrap up effectiveness by talking about their self-defense. They have a pretty unexpected method of self-defense. Is is this the Tifos? Well, that's part of it. But first, another one. (laughs) When threatened, Tamanduas will release an extremely stinky spray from their anal glands. (laughs) The smell is four to five times as powerful as a skunk's and acts as a deterrent to predators. Man. Yeah. So they have a stink bomb spray. That's how they protect themselves. Yeah, so, I mean, you thought your golden poison frog had biochemical warfare cornered. I might be dead, but I can't (laughs) smell bad. (laughs) 
Yeah, the tomato just makes you wish you were dead. <laughs> so if that doesn't work and they do need to fight, tamanduas will stand up on their hind legs, uh-huh. spread their arms out to make themselves appear larger, and swing their front claws for self-defense. So, so they Beyblade at you. <laughs> <laughs> so if you've been on the internet uh, for more than like 45 seconds during the last, I don't know, 15 years, mm-hmm. you have seen a picture of a Tamandua doing this oh. in the come at me, bro meme. Oh. <laughs> okay. So that's where my visualization came from. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's the come at me, bro uh Tamandua, that's okay. what that I is. I mean, accurate caption. Yeah, because that's what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, they're they're really, they're trying to make themselves look bigger, right? They're trying to make themselves look more intimidating, but they're also ready to go. They, I mean, they've got their, their claws ready. I mean, the intimidation thing is a solid strat. I mean, right. You know, people say to do that with, what, mountain lions or something? Bears, pretty much anything yeah. that's trying your life. But the the Tamandua has like the actual weaponry to back it up. <laughs> Are you saying these guns aren't weapons? <laughs> yeah, you can come catch these hands. So yeah, that's my seven out of ten for the Tamandua. They uh, are just kind of living their life. Okay, okay. Now for ingenuity, I gave them a six out of ten. Which is lower than I think I typically give mammals. I think mammals usually kind of have a little bit more development in their brain and usually exhibit more like social tendencies and like tool use and and interaction and communication with each other and have like other little intellectual behavioral adaptations that they've made. And Tamandua is just kind of doing it. It's not not really a whole lot going on up in there. (laughs) Really not a lot going on intellectually. They go for food. They eat the food. (laughs) End of list. (laughs) (laughs) No more log. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really, I I thought there was going to be more. There's not. It's just I gave them a 6 out of 10 because they don't seem particularly stupid, but they just don't really seem too bright either. They eat ants and then fart all over you. That's their bio. <laughs> now, I I will tell I will say that since they are nocturnal, who knows? Maybe like maybe in the dark in the nighttime, maybe they're I don't know, doing rocket science or something. Maybe they're like <laughs> secret geniuses under the cover of night, but I don't really have anything to back that up. So, I gave them uh, just kind of a 6 out of 10. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. That's the best I could give them. <laughs> All right, that brings us to aesthetics, my personal favorite category, 8 out of 10. Now, hold on. It's a solid animal. <laughs> what? What? The, the, you think more or less? I was thinking less. Doesn't what? the, I don't know, does the, the fart bomb thing count as well, aesthetic? Well, no, you can't. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> when you're looking at a picture of these dudes, you cannot see how bad they smell. <laughs> Not yet. I, I don't think that should count against them. <laughs> You don't see a stink cloud following them around in the picture. You, you don't that see to the peanuts. You don't see little wavy lines coming off of their bodies. <laughs> they look cute. All right. So long boy, first of all, mm-hmm. long boy. <laughs> Something really cute about them that I think is great is that their ears, they have big, surprisingly large ears. Mm-hmm. And their ears stick straight out to the sides of their head. Aww. Like 
Shrek's ears <laughs> like stick straight out. You can't invoke you can't evoke that name. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's very I really like their ears. I like their face. They have the long, sort of curved looking face. I would give them the best dressed award. You're <laughs> you're bringing a black vest to the table, like that's good. Oh, it's a it's a black tie event. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't told you about the fart bombs. <laughs> My opinion of them has changed forever. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I mean, they're cute. Look at a picture of them. He's a cute little dude. Yes, I will concede that. Yeah. So, 7 out of 10 for effectiveness, 6 out of 10 for ingenuity, and 8 out of 10 for aesthetics brings us to a 7 out of 10 for the Tamandua. Very good. Yes. I, I like this animal. Their conservation status is of least concern. Really? That's not to say that they're common. They're still pretty rare, but their population isn't like in a sort of dangerous state or anything. Huh. Their population is, is not. Well, I guess part of their part of their rarity comes from being nocturnal and probably yeah, like, in rainforest. You're not gonna see them like around super often or anything, but their population trends aren't currently any cause for concern okay now some people who live in the amazon region will keep tamanduas around as pest control i would too so just let them like chill now you say you would oh yeah (laughs) but consider for a moment letting one into your home (laughs) you're not getting that security deposit back i'm so sorry that house is going to need to be torn down and rebuilt that is a Outside to Mandua. Yes, that is an outside friend. You're not going to be letting that one but on your couch. If it starts clawing at the side of your house, though, then you then you know what's up. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's a little termite detection. You know how, like, around here we have, like, pest control agencies that have, like, a little beagle for their mascot? Yeah. And they'll, like, walk the little beagle around, and the beagle will, like, I don't know, do something to indicate that there's termites there. You can have that with a Tamandua that, like, suddenly starts digging at the ground. That'd be pretty cute. <laughs> So, yeah, some people keep them around to control their bug populations, which I think is pretty cool. But unfortunately, they are sometimes hunted by humans or killed by humans. So for a couple of reasons, first of all, there is an incorrect belief by some people in the area that tamanduas kill dogs. Really? Yes. Some people think they kill dogs. They obviously do not. They pose no threat to dogs. They don't really pose a threat to anybody for any reason. Unless you're an ant. Unless you're an ant, then this is uh, (laughs) public enemy number one. But so, yeah, if you're a dog, you're fine. But so sometimes people will kill them thinking they're protecting their dogs, even though they don't pose a threat. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that idea came from. But also in the Tamandua's tail... They have these tendons, these really, really strong tendons that people will use to make rope. Huh. Yeah. That's a weird one, right? You you can just, I guess you can tie them together and make rope with it. That's weird. Yes, it's very weird. I really want strong shoelaces. (laughs) (laughs) But so, I, yeah, but people will uh, hunt tamanduas, I guess, for the tendons in their tails. All right, then. Yeah. So, I mean, that is to say... You know, people will sometimes pose a threat to them, but for the most part, tabanduas are secretive and hard to find enough that 
that's not usually that much of a problem. Just don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. Come on, guys. Be cool. <laughs> for like a second. <laughs> so I'll wrap up the Tamandua with a closing quote from Miranda. Miranda says, they were one of my favorite animals to work with. Cleaning up after them was awful because they smell so bad and their bright orange urine stains everything. Oh, no. It got worse. <laughs> but they're super sweet and fun. <laughs> Oh, no. I didn't know where else to put the bright orange urine, <laughs> so I just put it in the closing remarks. I didn't think that really factored positively or negatively into anything, but I just wanted you to know about it. Mm-mm. I really wanted to make sure that you knew about their bright orange urine. Why is this meme lord the way it is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's the Tamandua. Well, thank you, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a couple of unsettling, uh, kind of disturbing animals, yeah? The rainforest is scary. Oh, yeah. this These are a couple of rainforest terrors, huh? Mm-hmm. We should probably just leave the rainforest alone. Sorry for the um, challenging content that we've given you in this episode. It's crazy. All right. That wraps things up for us this week. Thank you so much for joining us. If you liked what you heard today, you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those good things by searching the title of the show. That should bring you right to us. Yeah. If you have an animal species you want to hear us review, you can submit those to us either via Facebook message, you can tweet at us, get at us on social media. You stop can Stop us on the street. Stop us on the street. <laughs> best of luck finding yeah good luck trying to catch me walking down the street in florida in the summer i don't think so i mean just just stop anyone you find talking about animals it's probably us stop any man with red beard that you find or woman with dark hair and glasses it's definitely (laughs) us um yeah so don't do that but if you can also submit your animal species to us at the zoo of us at gmail.com. That's our email address. Christian hates it. I hate it so much. I'm sorry. We're going to get our own domain name. A transcript of this episode will be made available at just the zoo of us.home.blog. So if you are deaf or hard of hearing or have sensory processing needs or you maybe English is not your first language and you prefer to read along. If for whatever reason you find transcripts helpful, they will be made available on our blog. And the last thing I want to say is I want to thank Louis Zong for the use of his song Adventuring off of his album, B-Sides. So good. I was jamming out to it the other day. We sure were. We were listening to it and made some really good dinner music. Yes. Yeah. All right, darling. Another wonderful episode. We did it. We did it. Did great. Great job, sweetie. Until the next animals. What? Like until next time, but... Yeah, but... That sounded weird. Okay, bye. <laughs> no.
You awaken what appears to be a small town jail cell. You're Eric Wolfgang. He's here. They're down here. Yo, yo, what's going on, man? This is crazy. We need to find something. And I grab the shovel from Angela. So that's ridiculous. But he's dressed in all black. Read your hand one more time and I'm going to give you a high five. Oh, wait, wait, no, no, no. Bob has been eaten by a giant black monster thing. Hey, this is Daniel here. If you're ready for mystery and high adventure in an actual play format that's clean, fun, and appropriate for the whole family, then join us in the Happy-Go-Lucky family as we create a world together each week. That's at happygolucky.com. Lucky spelled L-U-K-K-Y. Listen in each week anywhere podcasts can be found.